see the work of your hands Galaxies spin in a heavenly dance Oh God, all that you are is so overwhelming I hear the sound of your voice All at once it's a gentle thundering noise
Okay, we're back to Ephesians this morning. If you have your uh, Bibles, there's the red one in front of you. Ephesians chapter 5, we're bleeding into chapter 6 this morning. On page 1159 is where we're starting. There's a lot of scripture. I will not read it all in one setting. We will read it as we work through. To kind of enter, I'm, I'm gonna, it's a lot of scripture, but this will be kind of a shorter sermon. We'll always say that, and we'll see if that actually happens. That's always the goal, right? Um, there's a really simple way to understand this. This, is, this. this portion of Ephesians is what they call the household codes, okay? This has to do with marriage. This has to do with a husband and wife. This has to do with parenting and children. And also, uh, in the Roman world, the idea of bond servants, I think the NIV uses the word slave, um, we'll get into that later. It's mostly an employee-employer relationship because the Roman world of slavery was very different than how we might think of slavery um, in more recent American times. Very different back then. So really, this is about marriage, about parenting, and about the workplace. And how, as we titled our sermon series, uh, Reconciling All Things to Christ, how does Jesus uh, uh, renew all of those various uh, uh, relationships and parts of our life? How does he bring gospel renewal to our marriages, to our parenting, and to the workplace? Each of those could be like five sermons, and so we can't get into extraordinary detail this morning. But there's, I think, one general statement that will help us navigate this morning, all three of those, to kind of say, oh, okay, I kind of get you know, because the New Testament has, you know, when Jesus came, he, he tended to get things that we're familiar with, that every civilization have had things like, you know, marriages and parenting and working out in the marketplace and things that every civilization have, has had and has done. And he kind of got the worldly values and kind of flipped them upside down and said, you, you usually think of it this way, but I'm going to present to you a new way that may seem counterintuitive or, or opposite of what the society and culture is saying around you. Uh, this is what I like to call, and many people call it, the subversive nature of the teachings of Jesus. It's subversive in the sense that when, he, when his truth is spoken into something like marriage, he, it kind of undermines often what our society and how it talks about marriage or parenting. If you invite Jesus to speak into it, he's going to kind of undermine that a bit. And it might create some tension, but when you kind of zoom out, you'll see, oh, his undermining of it is actually renewal. His undermining is actually restoring this to how God always intended it to be. There's a catechism we've used with our children often, the New City Catechism. The first question is, what is our only hope in life and death? And my children party already murmured the answer, that we are not our own, but belong to God. Can we say that together? That we are not our own, but belong to God. That kind of principle, which is clearly reflective of what Scripture teaches, is uh, that in itself undermines what our society says. Because in our age and today, it says that you are your own, actually. It says that your, you know, your happiness, your contentment, you yourself, like it, it is about you. And it's about whatever you want to do. And people who maybe get in the way of that um, it, it, that's, that's toxic and that's poisonous because you need to be, you know, uh, uh, happy and it's, 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 it's bad, it's dangerous if people kind of, you know, step into that. And there's not really a coherent vision of, um, of, of how to actually grow as an individual apart from, you know, freeing the bonds of whatever in your life that may be getting in your way. 
That's a general kind of cultural undertone of today. And what we're going to read is that um, the gospel says, actually, you don't belong to yourself. And you were not your own. You were bought with a price. And even though you were bought with a price and you become a, a bond servant of Jesus, you were actually at home in that place. Because that's where God, when he created humanity, that's where he always designed us to be. Because we have this, this, this void inside of us that there's, there's nothing that can fill it. And we know this to be true. It's why we like our food, we like our drinks, or we like, you know, whatever it might be, our entertainment and this, like, we, we, we flood ourselves with whatever it might be that we think this can maybe scratch that itch and bring some kind of, like, uh, uh, fullness of joy in my life. And for a moment, you may feel like, I got it. And then you wake up, and it's gone once again. Because your heart is an endless sea. It's almost like it needs something eternal to fill it. It's almost like the void inside of us is so huge and so big that it requires something God-sized to fill it before you say, oh, that actually, now I feel at home and at peace. And that's what the gospel does is it ushers us back into uh, access through the Holy Spirit to God to where that fulfillment is possible. And we bring that into our marriages, our parenting, and our workplace, and we'll see that uh, it, it, it flips a lot of things upside down. So that's kind of the secret, all right, that you don't belong to yourself. And now let's dive into the different roles of how that reflect, as reflected in this. And so the roadmap today is we'll be talking about, number one, uh, submitting to the Holy Spirit. Number two, mutual submission to one another in verse 21, and how those things are brought into the marriage, parenting, and workplace. All right, we're ready? Let's dive in. Let's go into um, uh, uh, chapter 5, verse 15. That's what it says. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's uh, understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll push pause there. He, he, he begins this next section with a reference to the work of the Holy Spirit. And let's push pause and see what he's saying. He says, look, if, you're, if you understand that the temporal nature of your life, it calls for wisdom to say, I must make the most of what is given to me. And he says, so don't be foolish, but seek the will of the Lord. And how do we seek the will of the Lord? He uses the imagery of drunkenness and imagery of the Spirit. Um, drunkenness leads to you to be in control um, no longer in control of yourself. You lose kind of control of yourself and you become submitted to uh, the alcohol that led you to drunkenness. And so it is one of kind of a control text, right? Don't, don't be controlled by something like alcohol, but rather in the same manner be filled with the Spirit that you may be controlled by the Spirit, that you may submit yourself to the Spirit. This is the result of submitting yourself to the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. He says, uh, uh, with, when, you're, when you submit yourself to the Spirit and you're filled with the Spirit, verse 19, you then speak to one another with psalms. First, you speak to one another. 
Okay, there's a communal reality to being filled with the Spirit that doesn't say, oh, this is just, you know, for me and get to sit in the corner of my room and just like, you know, be a Christian alone. Like, no, 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 no. When, when we're filled with the spirits, we are brought together and we recognize that other people around us in this room now are also filled with the spirits and we're brought into community together and we sing together. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that is worship, being filled with the Spirit leads us to be together, to worship God, singing and making music in our heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. And so there's togetherness, there's worship, there's thanksgiving. And then verse 21 is interesting. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This idea of submitting here in verse 21, um, I, I tried to find, I mean, so the Greek word for submit, it means submit, all right? There's no like other definition here, as we're going to see. There's no like, you know, well, the root word says this, it really means this. Like, no, 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 it just means to submit, all right? So what do we mean by submitting to one another? We're going to see the wife submits to the husband. What, what, what is submitting referring to? Uh, another way to say it is yielding yourself to the will. This is actually, this is, what is this from? Oh, the, the dictionary, the American dictionary. Yielding to the will or needs of one another. And I appreciate that definition because sometimes we think of submission in terms of authority structures. And there's certainly some of that there, as we will see. But all of submission is not necessarily, you know, a statement of somebody has authority and somebody does or somebody's greater than or somebody's less than. No, no, it's, it's actually yielding yourself to the will or to the needs of one another. Simply serving somebody else is a form of submission because you're submitting your actions and the time taken to then serve that person, right? You're yielding yourself to that person, and so as a community of Christians, we're actually called to submit to one another, which means if you hear of a need in our church body and you say, you know, I have, I'm a, I have a lot going on this week, but I'm going to yield my time to go serve that person. You just submitted to that person in a way. You guys track with this? This is how these, these, these work. We realize, again, you don't belong to yourself. Right? Jesus, he died for you, but he also died for us. And he, he, he is turning your heart away from us. And he says, other people consider in Philippians 2, as we said many times here, consider others as more important than yourself. Just as Jesus modeled for us as he went to the cross, leaving heaven and dying for us. So this is the, the idea of mutual submission in the community of the body of Christ to one another. And that kind of serves as a, um, an umbrella. Like if you were to like put an umbrella over this, this portion we're going to see this morning, like a, you know, this is kind of the, the, the general guiding kind of, you know, principle throughout the text. It's, it's verse 21. It's submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, out of fear of the Lord. And so let's, uh, let's you know, th think about it this way. Um, the good news of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, it, it becomes, in all these relationships we're about to see, okay, is, is we are called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, 
All of these relationships you're about to see has a reference point. And this is the difference. Again, self or God and others. The reference point in our society is self. But we're going to see the reference point when we think about our marriages, this spirit-filled life as we're submitting to you know, our marriages and our um, parenting and workplace. The reference point becomes Jesus. It says, okay, let's look to him first and let's learn what we need to learn from him and gather from him in terms of how our lives are to operate. He's the reference point for how I'm a wife, for how I'm a husband, and for how I parent, and for also children with their parents. He's also the reference point for the employee and the employer. He's like the gravitational force in our life that kind of spins everything else into orbit, right? And the goal is that, as we said so many times throughout Ephesians, the goal of the Spirit is to say, it's not actually about you here. It's not. The gospel has removed you from being the, the, the focal point of your life. and You are no longer your own. It's about Jesus, and it's about those around you. And that is the key that will help us grasp what's going on. So think of Jesus as like the sun, and he's spun all the things in your life and just orbit around himself. And that is the life of the Christian. So in verse 22... Bringing all that to the plate here, let's talk about wives submitting to husbands and husbands sacrificing for their wives. Let's go into verse 22. It says this. This is the word of the Lord. Wives, submit to your husbands. as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. I'm going to go ahead and read uh, the rest because it's going to be hard to talk about the wives without talking about the husbands. In verse 25, why, uh, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present herself to himself, her to you know, I'm like 34, my eyes are already like not doing well here. This is really ridiculous. Um, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So let's begin with the wife in this passage. A couple of things. I don't want to spend a lot of time defining what it doesn't say because that can be uh, subjective, right? But there's a couple of things that this definitely does not say. Because this can be one of those texts, you know, in our current age, people are like, oh, submission, oh, no, this is so archaic and old, and what do you mean? So, number one, a couple of things is, uh, the Bible is not saying that submission means inferiority. Okay? That's very clear. We talked about that. We're going to see that Jesus is the best model of submission, so it's not a statement of inferiority. We're going to, get, we're going to talk about that. Um, it is not a statement that says women are to submit to men. No, this is a marriage context. I unfortunately have 
not necessarily been under, but I've heard a lot of teaching that kind of wants to go that way in the more fundamental groups. No, this is the context of a marriage. This is not the context of a woman and a man. This is a wife and a husband. Um, and so knowing those things, we'll just get those out of the way. Uh, Paul gives us kind of a clue here as to uh, um, um, what he is, uh, he's, he's working towards here. And I, I want to talk about the wife's submission in light of what the husband is called to be. Because really, I really struggled with defining one without defining the other because I, I kind of kept realizing that, you know, in our Bibles we have paragraphs and we like, you know, make them separate thoughts. This isn't, these aren't separate thoughts from Paul. The wife's submission is kind of codependent on what the husband is doing. And they both bring a unity and a complement towards one another. But as we talk about submission for the wife, and it says the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. He gives a clue in terms of, um, of this, uh, this submission piece in terms of Jesus' relationship to the church. Uh, Jesus served the church. He gave himself up for the church, for us. He is referred to as our Savior. And so as we think about wives submitting to their husbands, you look at Jesus and we see how he submitted himself for us in the acts of service and the acts of love. And so we look to Christ and say, okay, well, that's, he, he models submission for us. And there's also the other piece that let's look at what the husband is intending to do. We'll bounce back and forth between the husband and the wife. Because all the way back in Genesis chapter 2, mind you, the woman was created in the marriage context uh, as the helper. It was referred to, uh, the, the Eve was referred to as Adam's helper. Who else is described as a helper in the Bible? Anybody know? The Holy Spirit. Right? And so we, we see that there is uh, God himself is referred to as a, I'm, I'm trying to, first off, kind of take away any kind of, you know, uh, baggage we bring to something like this, right? God is referred to as our helper. Eve is referred to as Adam's helper. There's something very divine in, in, in God's image within this context of marriage that the wife is called to yield and to submit to her husband. God is actually the example. The Holy Spirit helps and he serves us, right? And so as we flesh this out further, a wife yielding to her husband's role of headship in the home only really makes sense when we define the husband's headship. So in verse 25, talking about different things, in verse 25 and 26, this is what she's submitting to. Okay, listen. The husband is to lead and be the head by loving, by self-sacrifice, by encouraging the spiritual growth and flourishing of his wife by washing her in the word to present to her, uh, her as mature before God, loving her as he loves, as, she, um, as if she is himself, and loving her as Christ loved us. And this is the key. The headship of the, of the husband in the home has nothing to do with him. This is an important piece here. His headship role is not about him. It's about his wife. It's about his family. It's about, it's about him serving and yielding himself up into his wife through love and through self-sacrifice. The minute a husband considers that his role as head has some kind of benefit unto himself, he only has to look at the cross and say, where, where did Jesus' headship of the church lead him? 
that led him to give himself up for us. And so there's, there's nothing in this role of husband that says, oh, great, look, you have some kind of headship. Good for you. This is going to benefit you. It's like, no, 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 no. You're called to give yourself up for your wife. And this is an interesting thing because if you're submitting to somebody, you're also yielding yourself up. And we see that the outworkings of headship and also submission, they are different roles that need to be there. There needs to be leadership in the home, and we know these things. But the outworkings of it is kind of this, this co-mutual yielding to one another that says, I'm going to give myself up for my wife. And she says, I'm going to yield myself up into the leadership of my husband. And both are then caring for one another. Both are then serving one another. And it only kind of, this, this picture Paul's putting only really works if both are doing what they can and their imperfections to step into this. Um, the moment of the wife tries to break an autonomy from her husband or family and do her own thing, fragmentation in the family will result. The moment the husband tries to assume authority and abuse it for his own interests, who pursues his own interests and feels entitled to do so because, well, he's the husband, it will not cause your wife or your family to flourish. I know there's a thousand questions that come with this, but the, the very core of this is uh, this statement that the marriage relationship and all the relationships that follow only work if no one is operating for their own benefit. The minute in a marriage context that you think whatever role you have, you can twist and manipulate it to be for your own benefit, your own advantage, it falls apart because that is not the example of Christ. He set aside, read Philippians 2, just memorize Philippians 2. We're trying to memorize that as a family, right? Because it says to consider the interest of others before your own. And this is again in the context of a church family, but so much more even in a marriage. Your interests are no longer your primary concern. It is your wife, it is your spouse that you're yielding yourself unto and giving yourself up if you're a husband and submitting to if you're a wife. And both you will find will flourish. Husbands in this room, your role in your marriage is for the flourishing of your wife. Your wife should be able to say, I am a better person because of him, because of him serving me, because of his sacrificing for me and his role as head in the family has caused me to grow in the likeness of Christ. There's, there's something interesting here is when it says that husbands are, are supposed to wash their wife in the word, you're not washing your wife in your word. This is important to grasp, okay? This means that you're not this like, you know, all-knowing person that if your wife is struggling, you, you always have like, well, I'm the head, so let me just tell you how things are. How about you just push pause and say, I'm, I'm going to pray for you. And then I want to say, you know, why don't you go be with Jesus? And I want to I ensure that whatever I can do for you to be with Jesus and to hear from him and to hear his Holy Spirit taught to be filled with the Spirit, to let him lead you, I'm going to give that space to happen so you can be washed in the Word and I'll take, take care of whatever needs to be taken care of so you can go and flourish and be with him. That's what it means to be, to wash your wife in the Word. Yeah, you might have a word of wisdom sometimes. We always do. That's fine. But are you giving space for your wife to be with Jesus, to flourish, and to actually like give her over to him? This is what this is the call to do, right? She doesn't actually belong to you, husband. She belongs to Jesus. And you were ensuring that she is with him and flourishing in him. That is why you were giving yourself up for her. 
And wives are called to respect their husbands. But if I were to sit with a, a man and say, my wife doesn't respect me, I'm going to say, well, maybe that's for a good reason. Have you earned it? <laughs> are you a respectable person? Right? Blind respect can be, you know, kind for a season, but it's not going to go forever. Do you see how these two things work together? Yes, wife, if, you're, if, you, if you recognize your husband is doing the, these things for you, like that's a respectable thing. And if, if you're consuming your own self-interest, maybe you should consider, yeah, he really is serving me and that's worthy of respect. But sometimes men, you just aren't being respectable. You need to consider how, how can I earn my wife's trust and my wife's respect in this? And again, Jesus is a reference point. How did Jesus exercise his role? Talk about headship here. He sacrificed it through the, he, he, he exercised it through the cross. There is death. There is sacrifice. And then in the form of submission, Jesus submitted himself to the cross. He submitted himself to the will of God in the garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours. He is both a model of submission and headship for husband and wife. But again, the key it only works if the husband and wife are working at this together. This paradigm is going to continue. There's a million more questions. I get it. And one day we'll have a sermon, uh, uh, like a marriage thing happening here, a uh, you know, conference or something. We'll do that in the coming you know, seasons. But we've got to move on because this, this kind of same paradigm continues forward with children and parents. Let's look at this beginning in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And again, to read both in light of the other, children tend to, if you want to use the word, obedient, because you know, again, I, the goal here is let the Bible speak. Let's just let the Bible speak. If children are to, you know, are, are called to obedience, and, and we would, uh, as parents, we enjoy when our children obey, it, it's a little easier if you're not exasperating them. That word refers to kind of angry exhaustion that parents can bring on their children, like that heavy kind of like, ugh. Like that's like an exasperated, you know, groan, right? Fathers, and it's plural, the word, you know, it was, a, it was a kind of a male-centric society in Rome, but that does mean parents. If you look at the original word, it refers to both fathers and mothers, but it is masculine, so fathers. F.F. Um, uh, F. Bruce, a famous biblical commentator, he said this. He said, uh, parents, fathers, are urged not to assert their authority over children in a manner more calculated to provoke resentment than ready obedience. So a couple of questions. Parents, do your children resent you? I'm not talking about the resentment that comes from saying, don't touch the hot oven, you'll get burned. Oh, I got burned. Well, you know, I told you not to, and they resent you. I'm not talking about that, right? That's, you know, that's, the, the, they'll get over that. I mean the kind of Resentment that comes from parents when, again, you have your own self-interests in mind before your kids, and you more often feel like they're in the way than they are present in your family's life, and, and the children end up kind of feeling that tension of like, I feel like when I'm around them, I just set them off all the time, and so I just kind of won't, don't, I don't want to be around them, Right? And you know, they're off in the room, and these family dynamic, dynamics are unfortunately can be very common 
today. I do believe that there's an obedience problem between children and parents in the house. The first question should be that, are you an exasperating presence in your children's life? When your children need discipline, do you truly have their best interest in mind? Or are you just disciplining out of anger and just venting your anger just to get it out of you and then you can just move on because they stopped? Or are you considering their heart and any kind of motives? And are you listening and are you spending time with them to understand why did you do what you did and how can I shepherd and care for you in order to you know, uh, teach you and grow you out of that instead of just yelling so they would just stop so you can get back to doing what you're doing? I think a lot of discipline that happens in the house is actually not discipline, but efforts of parents to make themselves feel better about their actions, when in reality they feel inconvenienced by their kids. And this, I just observe this all the time, you know, in grocery stores where there's just, um, the, the, our culture is lacking vision of what to do with children. They're just more of a nuisance, if anything, today in our culture's vision, because you know, all of our technology, mean, just look at the, the trajectory of our society. When we create new technology, it's mostly centered around like me. There's, there's no, there's very little technology. I mean, social media, arguably, but not exactly. Nobody's really thinking about, you know, us or people being together. It's more trying to aim at the self, the self, the self. And we're being trained by this until where if somebody is, or something is a presence in your life that, that can kind of take you off of this focus of self, it becomes like, and certainly children have that presence. If there's any way to learn to humble you and to, be, to learn how to be self-sacrificial, it's to have children. Anybody who's had kids say, yes, I understand, right? <laughs> um, it, it forces you to give yourself up or there's gonna be lots of tension in your house. But um, do you have a, I'm gonna read this. This is a, this is a biblical vision for uh, parenting coming out of Deuteronomy chapter six. And listen to this intentionality. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and all your soul, and all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you're walking by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. That is intentionality, is saying, look, I have rhythms in my life. I'm at home, I'm walking about, I'm at Costco, I'm doing whatever. And this vision being put out, say, if you want to train your children up in the Lord, then take them with you. Have them a regular presence of just the rhythms of your life. If you can ever bring them to work with you, we'll do so. Let them be around. Let them observe you. And as they are with you and they see Jesus in you and you see moments of instruction and care, you are bonding with your son and your daughter. They don't feel unwanted. They feel like they want me around. This is great. Like I'm a part of their life. And and Deuteronomy 6 says, yes, this this is how it works. Like, bring them into you. When, when Jesus was presented with children, the disciples said, get those kids out of there. He, he's above this. And Jesus said, no, 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 I want them with me. Like, bring them to me. And so the plea of, of, of parents in this room is say, bring your kids close to you. Have them with you in the rhythms of your life. And, you, you, and, and they will see Jesus in you and they will grow closer to you. And then when the moment comes and the need to obey, there's going to be a tighter bond form where trust is there. And if you're not disciplining out of anger, but for their growth, you will see a tighter, tight-knit uh, uh, relationships formed in your house. Our, our culture just doesn't have vision for that. It just says, push them aside. And Deuteronomy 6 says, no, bring them near. 
just like Jesus did. And again, parenting is ultimately not about you. It's a season of life that God has graced you with to have children from birth up until they're out of your house. This says you need to, 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 to flip the focus of this season of your life in many ways unto loving them and caring for them and serving them and parenting and disciplining well and growing them up into the instruction of the Lord. If you try to just pull yourself out of that constantly and do your own thing, you're gonna see fragmentation in your house. It's not the way that Christ exemplified. You guys tracking? You guys awake? Good? Okay. And we're going to close on this. Bond servants respecting masters. I, you know, well, before I go there, you know, obviously I have a passion for children. We have six of them. We loved them so much we just kept having children. Um, they're, they're, they are great. We felt a call, and I can share that story on a different day. But I sincerely mean this. I just want to push pause here. That if you're a parent and, I, and, you're, and this is the, the tension point and there's, there's issues in your house between children and between you, um, you know, I, I don't pretend, my wife and I pretend that we're not some experts here, know anything, but um, at minimum, like, don't just let it be there. Like, consider, like, what, what can I do? Like, I want to take this more seriously instead of just finding a way to diffuse it and walk away from it. Like, I'm encouraging you, if you read this text, like, do something. Step into it. If you need to get help or an outside counselor or whatever it is, like take steps and step into that. That relationship is a true grace from God that society is just, there's so many things just breaking that relationship apart right now. I could preach 10 sermons about just all those things. There's so many forces at play. I'm, I, I'm, it's all throughout history. Whenever Satan is, is present, it has a, one of his first stops are children. It's always been the case, and especially in the home. Guys, parents, fight for that. Fight for that. Okay, sorry. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both master and their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. All the principles we've been talking about just go directly in application to the employee and employer relationship. Um, uh, just a quick note that the slavery system in Rome was, um, it was not a lifelong sentence. It was a temporary ordeal. Uh, it was almost guaranteed that by 30-ish, they would, uh, if you were a slave, you would be free. So it was a very different kind of experience um, uh, than what we have in our American and more close by Western history in the Western Hemisphere. But the idea here is, is Paul is really rubbing up against the grain here because um, there was no culture of respect given to those who served in that role. There was no culture to, to, uh, for masters to have any kind of caring treatment. And Paul, if you look in Philemon and here, like he's, 
He's being subversive, subversive here because he's saying, you know, the gospel kind of evens the playing field. And he says, for the masters in verse 9, he says, treat your slaves in the same way. Don't threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. Hint, hint, there's not a lot of difference between you and that person. <laughs> That's what Paul is saying. In Christ, the playing field is even. Consider how you're treating them. In other words, treat them as you would want to be treated, right? So if, you have, if you're a supervisor in this room, in the workplace, have anybody working alongside of you or beneath you, consider that. How would you want to be treated? And that's what Paul was kind trying to direct them towards. And for, for the rest of us as we are laboring, labor as you are working unto the Lord. If you turn that position uh, as if this is, if, if, as if it is yours for your benefit, whether you're an employee or an employer, you're going to bring conflict into the workplace. If you flip it outside and say, no, I'm going to work heartily as if I'm unto the Lord for the benefit of my employee. An employer says, I'm going to exercise my authority here in this workplace, not for my own personal self-gainer benefit, but for the flourishing benefit of my employees. You see, flourishing is happening. This is how these, this works itself out in all of these various relationships. So in conclusion, call our worship team to come up um, as we close here. Somewhere you're on this list. You're a husband, you're a wife, you're a parent, you're a child. You're an employee or you are an employer. And the simple way of looking at this is saying, it's not about you. Don't make it about you. Whatever role you have, it's not about you. It's about Jesus. He's your reference point. And it's about those around you. I'm going to pray here in a minute. And um, I mean, this is just a constant battle in our flesh, is to fight self, fight making it about ourself. So I want to pray a prayer. And I encourage you guys, if you're in this room, to, to pray along with me. Um, I want you to be free of self free of making these things about you. And there's a hard sanctification bump that happens. Like when you're forced, you'll be, we'll face it the rest of our life, but um, if you haven't really, you know, taken that intentional plunge in your life to say, you know what, this isn't about me. This isn't about my self-interest. It's about those around me and how to, if you haven't really taken that plunge in your life and really seriously approached that, um, there's going to be a lot of tension within you and so what I'm going to pray is for God to free you from yourself, to, to be able to experience the freedom to simply not have yourself in mind as you are in your, in your marriage or in your workplace or in your parenting. I'm going to have Jesus and others in mind and to experience just the joy of that freedom that comes and so I want to pray a prayer and encourage you, if, if you're anywhere in that spectrum and you feel some conviction, just encourage you to pray this with me. And um, they're going to sing a song. As always, we'll have people available for prayer. If you want to come and pray um, for any of these things, please come. We'll, we'll love to pray with you, the elders and the others. And so, um, yeah, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we know that uh, I trust that you spoke this morning to the hearts in this room. Lord, ever since the fall, we, 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 by nature, think the world revolves around us. Lord, I pray for 
the married couples in this room, Lord, that just have brought tension in their marriage and they're smiling and they're, they try not to show people, but when they go home, the fighting just will happen just like it did on the way here. Lord, I pray for the grace of humility and vulnerability for that couple, whoever they are in this room, to just own and fess up to how they are just making it about themselves and they have forgotten the flourishing of the other in mind. Would you free them, Jesus, from that sin, help them to turn from that. I pray for just honesty and moments of vulnerability where that can be confessed to one another. You would just bring them closer because of it, Jesus. I pray for the parents in this room who may have, have not thought through just an intentional vision of what it means to bring, to, to train up their children to the Lord. I mean, kind of just day by day, almost kind of winging it and trying their best, but just feeling like they're flailing and just not really knowing how to have uh, a coherent understanding of what role the children have in the life of their family and just sometimes feel like they're in the way and just don't. Lord, I pray that you would, through your scriptures and through your Holy Spirit, Lord, give them a vision of, of, see, of aiming for their children flourishing in you. What does holy discipline look like and what does uh, a righteous uh, uh, discipline look like and, and love and, and, uh, and training look like that uh, looking to you as our example, Jesus. Lord, I pray for anybody in this room who has been having um, uh, tension in the workplace, Lord, that uh, if, if they're working below a, a almost just arrogant, you know, employer who is totally consumed with self and has no interest in him, Lord, uh, I know those situations are tricky. Would, 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 would the humility that in Christ that we can bring to that? Lord, by uh, bringing good in the midst of a tense situation, be the light of the gospel onto that employer, Lord. And that they would not meet that uh, in, in, in the same kind of angst, but rather would meet it with love and with grace as one working for that employer, Lord. And that you would uh, provide that supernaturally, Jesus. And for those who oversee anybody in this room, have any kind of authority in the workplace over others, Lord, help them to lead as you led through serving and through uh, uh, not considering how they can benefit themselves through that position, but rather how they can love and serve those beneath them. Jesus, I, I, I pray that your reconciliation would just occur in all these areas of our lives, Lord that your gospel would take hold, your spirit would just fill, and Lord, your gospel transformation will be brought into all of these areas, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Thank you that you were with us. You never leave us nor forsake us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Promises shall last.